Dear ones, if we think that by the ringing of the bells we create worship, we're looking to the wrong place. Unless our hearts were tuned in praise, we were present, but that was all. For we're not here to get points for attendance. We are here to give praise and adoration to God. This day, the Lord's Day, gives us an opportunity to assess the appetite of our hearts. Today on the Songtime Broadcast, we continue our study in Psalm 84 as Alistair Begg asks a very important question. Are we excited about worshiping God on the Lord's Day? Do we get excited looking forward and anticipating our Sunday worship? Stay tuned for that. But first, we're joined once again by Neil Shenvey as we talk about a Christian apologetic and how to answer the question that young people are asking even if they're not vocalizing their questions. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. This is the season where we're preparing for a lot of our students to go back to school, whether college students or high school students or elementary students. It's also a season that coincides with a lot of fear and concern about what is going to be taught to the next generation. Are they going to be challenged in accordance to their faith that we have been trying to teach them in the home, or at least attempting to be faithful at teaching them in the home and the church? And how are they going to be challenged? And are they prepared to make and, and to face those challenges. Well, our guest this week is Dr. Neil Shenvey. He's written a book called Why Believe? A Reasoned Approach to Christianity. It's a resource for parents and for youth. And one of the things that we've seen, Neil, over the course of the past several decades is that we've watched a lot of young adults walking away from the faith. It seems to be getting younger and younger each year, even with high school students being open and proclaiming that they are apostating, they're walking away from the faith. But the truth is, a lot of the research has actually shown us that what happens is their their lack of faith actually starts much earlier. They just might not be willing to talk about it. But this is probably happening in middle school or even elementary school. Right. And I actually have a, an acquaintance online who taught middle school at a Christian school. And he said as a fifth grade teacher, he would have a box that he, people could just submit anonymous questions. They'd drop it into the box and the students could ask him questions about anything. And in fifth grade, he did that and answered a lot of good questions. He's an apologist. But then he said he moved the next year. He was teaching sixth grade. And by sixth grade, the box was always empty because the kids were too afraid to ask their questions. Hmm. And so I just taught a camp for an apologetics boot camp, three days, like five hours a day to teenagers, ages ages like 12 through 18, about all of these arguments. The same material is in my book. And at the end of the camp, we had Q&A, and I was gratified that they asked a lot of good questions, um, but some of them were actually pretty basic theological questions. And these are kids that are have very committed Christian parents that are going to church, they're in youth group. They still have a lot of questions, and thank goodness they were willing to ask them, but it just it reinforced my conviction that we need to have space and a forum where kids can ask what they might think are dumb questions, and it's completely judgment-free. We're here to answer your questions and not to give you flippant answers and not to say, how, how can you not know that? Just say, no, we want to help convince you that this is a credible faith that can withstand scrutiny. I, I want to touch on that. I, I realize it's a little bit outside of the realm of your book, but I think it's still pertinent to the book in the sense that I, I do believe, as you were mentioning, that these kids are curious. They have questions. Mm-hmm. 
They want to know, but getting them to elicit those questions and actually talk about these things can be actually pretty hard. We can't just allow them to happen organically in the spontaneous moment. You actually have to do a little bit of digging. You actually have to probe yourself as a parent, a grandparent, a youth leader, a pastor. You have to be able to actually tap into those questions and do a lot of the digging yourself. And sometimes I think it is just a change in venue. So maybe with their parents, even though you've made yourself very available and open, they might just feel uncomfortable asking you. Mm-hmm. But if they're in an environment where they're, you know, in my class, the you know, it was 100 students and then me. So they outnumbered me. Yeah. But I think maybe it was less threatening because they felt like, well, I'm surrounded by other kids and it's less of an awkward thing that like, well, if it's one-on-one, they're going to quiz me and I'm going to, but it's, no, it's a, it's a, it's an environment where I feel safe asking questions. Also, I'm not going to, they don't know me. I'm not going to report to their parents and say, you know what your kid asked? No, they, it's totally uh, a, a non-threatening environment. They feel like after three days, I'm knowledgeable. Uh, I, I can probably answer their questions having had some, uh, with some thought behind it. So yeah, I, I'd encourage parents to not don't let yourself be the only people who are there for your kids. Mm-hmm. Have youth leaders, have uh, other parents, your fr- your friends, adult friends, who your kids feel comfortable talking to about those questions. Mm. I would say this is kind of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but one of the other elements I think that can be considered in this environment is to, to divide the sexes, to get the boys with mm-hmm. just the boys and the girls with just the boys, because you or the girls with just the girls. You eliminate a lot of those distractions, a lot of those kind of uh, relational things that are kind of a big component to uh, girls not wanting to, to sound like they're uh, you know, trying to be smarter than they actually are and guys really just not trying to be funny just to impress the girls. So I think sometimes, and you know, again, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's really important, especially for a lot of parents who want to be able to help their kids. They, I, I think that there's a drive now. There's a lot of books been written on apologetics recently, and I love yours, but I think that uh, there's a market for it now because parents are really concerned at what the world is that their kids are forging. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said, the, I think this book I, is written, it ex- is accessible to motivated high school students. So um, like my son could read it. The material I gave in this class, ages 12 plus, it was the same material. Um, but I do think you're like, well, I don't know if my kid could handle it. Yeah, but you could hopefully. <laughs> so it's a book that would equip you as a parent to have answers. And if your kid asks you a question, you say, oh, that's chapter three. And so you could just turn to my book, for example, and you'll see, you know, there's tons of footnotes. And you'll say, well, you know, he answers it here, but then he gives, you know, three other books that are just on this topic exclusively. So it's a resource in that way also. Yeah, parents and grandparents might be intimidated by the idea of apologetics, but uh, they ought to be more intimidated by the results of not being able to provide honest answers that are Mm -hmm. thought out to the next generation. Yeah. Hmm. Great conversation today with Neil Shenvey about his book, Why Believe? A Reasoned Approach to Christianity. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. Or you can head over to our website where you can not only find information about the book, but you can also listen to our full conversation in its entirety. So look for us at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our study in Psalm 84. As a part of our continued Summer Psalm series, this message from Alistair Begg asks the question, do we get excited about worship? Do we have an appetite for joining with other Christians on a Sunday morning? 
Is it something we look forward to as we have opportunity to join with others in giving praise to God? Or is it something that is more of a, a, a difficult task, something that requires us to roll out of bed last minute and, and get our feet pointed in the right direction? Does it take a lot of work or does it come naturally. Well, as we continue our study in Psalm 84, this psalm challenges us in a different way than the other psalms we've looked at so far this year, as it reminds us that our soul longs to worship God if we keep our soul focused on the source of our hope. Here is Alistair Begg. The location, however, is secondary to the foundation. For the foundation of his praise is expressed in the final statement in verse 2, because he says his heart and his flesh cry out, not ultimately for the location, but for the God who fills the location. And when somebody says to me, oh, I couldn't go anywhere else, I couldn't be anywhere else, it indicates that our favorite place has been visited without an understanding of purpose. If you fall in love with somebody else and you decide to go out together for the evening, While it may be very, very nice to go a very, very lovely place, I put it to you that if you really love the girl, it won't matter so much to you where you go as who you're with. And just to walk and just to talk and just to know one another's companionship is the thing that makes that relationship so meaningful. And whenever you have a relationship that is dependent upon whether you go nice places and do nice things, you've got a major problem on your hands because it will be fine as long as you can go those nice places and do those nice things. But as soon as the money's gone for that, unless you love one another so much that you're happy to sit and let the rain run down the outsides of your car window and look into one another's eyes and say, hey, I really love you. It's nice just to be here and talk. You don't really have much to talk about. The psalmist says, my heart cries out for the living God. I'm preoccupied with a person. I'm not preoccupied with a place. Not only is he the living God, but you'll notice in verse 3 that he is the glorious God. He is the almighty God. He is the God who is worthy of our adoration. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. One of the sad aspects of 20th century Christianity is that in in a quest to know God personally, we have diminished God. We have brought him down where he may become our pal, as it were, rather than that we should bow before the wonder of his goodness. That's why the music of this morning, in a very real sense, captures this in Psalm 84. It captures the splendor and the wonder of it all. It lifts our spirits up within us to say, O Lord God Almighty, my heart cries out for you. We'll never know what it is to praise until that's true. The location of his praise was the temple, and ours is amongst the people of God. The foundation of his praise was the living God, great and glorious. And the expression of his praise comes in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. In other words, it's continual. It's not a little section in my day. It's It's not an adjunct to the rest of my life. I do it with my voice, I do it with my hands, I do it with my heart, I do it in the routine of my days as you return tomorrow to all that life will mean to you. The experience of Psalm 84 ought not to be locked back at 11 o'clock here, but ought to be taken into the fragrance of our lives. 
it is not inconsequential that Paul in Ephesians 5:18, where he exhorts the believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then goes on to say, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, and always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Our appetite will be revealed in our praise. Not the style of our praise, because that will vary from country to country and continent to continent and congregation to congregation. That is ultimately a matter of taste. But it will be revealed in the reality of our focus upon God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, writing in an earlier generation, addressed his congregation at the conclusion of a service with these words. He says, Men whisper their praises when a hearty outburst of song would be far more natural. It is to be feared that the church of the present day, through a craving for excessive propriety, is growing too artificial, so that the inquirer's cries and the believer's shouts would be silenced in most of our assemblies. This may be better than boisterous fanaticism, but there is as much danger in the one direction as in the other. For our part, we are touched to the heart by a little sacred excess. I love that phrase. A little sacred excess. You know when your mom comes to you and says, would you like some more dessert? Let's take it she comes to her husband and she says, would you like some more dessert? And your eyes look in the place and your children watch you and you just, and your children start to say, Oh, you're not supposed to. Remember the cholesterol from Revco. You, you're not supposed to. And you look at your children and you say, wouldn't you allow me just a little sacred excess? <laughs> and your wife's eyes sparkle because she prepared it. She loves to see it eaten. Listen, God's eyes sparkle this morning. He looks upon a congregation that it finds its location amongst the people of God, that finds its foundation in the living God, and finds its expression in sometimes a little sacred excess. That about which we speak this morning is, first of all, an affair of the heart. I may return you to our beginning. Neither prayer nor praise nor the hearing of the word will be pleasant or profitable to persons who attend, having left their hearts behind. Secondly, such an experience does not come as a result of external stimuli. Such an experience of praise and of worship, the revealing of an appetite, does not come in the heart of man because everything is the way we want them. Everything is the way we decide it should be. It's the right tune. It's the right words. It's the right phraseology. That, ultimately, is not the issue. It is not that bells are rung from the outside. It is rather that a bell rings within. Listen to Spurgeon put it. Such an individual needed no clatter of bells from the belfry. He carried his bell in his own bosom. Holy appetite is a better call to worship than a full chime. And dear ones, if we think that by the ringing of the bells we create worship, we're looking to the wrong place. Unless our hearts were tuned in praise, we were present, but that was all. For we're not here to get points for attendance. 
we are here to give praise and adoration to God. This day, the Lord's day, gives us an opportunity to assess the appetite of our hearts. I remember when I was in Bible college and doing my undergraduate work, I was going into my junior year, and I found a new church that I wanted to be a part of. And I had been in ministry teams and been preaching since I was 12 years old. I'd been involved in the church, and after about a month or two, I finally approached the pastor and said, listen, I'm ready to be put into the game. Use me however you want. Here's my resume. Here's all of the skills and all of the qualifications that I have. And uh, he told me, well, um, why don't you show up on Sunday? And I said, well, I, I am. I'm coming on Sunday. I'm going to be here on Sunday. He was like, well, all right, then you can come on Wednesday for our prayer meeting. I was like, oh, I'll be there too. He's like, well, let's start there and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, I was a little put off by that because, I mean, look at my resume and look at all the qualifications. There are so many ways that I could have, have served and been a part of the church and, and helped the church grow, but I learned something. And uh, in fact, that pastor became one of my great mentors in the faith, and he taught me that the most important thing is often the thing that we overlook. We think that we have to be a part of a program or a ministry or put on the stage. We have, to, we have to get ourselves involved in some way, shape, or form. But the truth is the most important thing that we're doing on a Sunday morning is worshiping God. Being there, studying the Word, getting to know who God is, and praying together with the saints, and singing the songs that, that declare the glory and the wonder of our God. And yet we often overlook that as, as something that is beneath us, and it's not. We ought to long to worship God. That ought to be the thing that we look forward to, the highlight of our week. And yet for many of us, it's not which shows us that we need to orchestrate our life to, to be involved with understanding how God is presented in the Word of God through the Psalms. We need the Psalms to instruct us, not only tell us how we feel, but teach us how we ought to feel, especially when it comes to worshiping God, acknowledging who He is and, and what He has done for us. I want to challenge you this Sunday, approach church with a different mindset and not what do I have to do? What are my roles and what are my responsibilities? And say my primary role, my primary responsibility in being here is to worship God and to worship him alone, to focus on him and maybe set aside all of the other distractions. I hope that we've been able to encourage you today. If we have, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to assess whether or not we have this appetite for worship as we look at Psalm 84. Those who have a healthy spiritual appetite, who are in tune with God, have a healthy detachment from the world. What he is saying is this, not that we should not have things, but that these things should not have us. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 84 or 85, 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.